by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, And so that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, do not count their sin against them for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, and our new vicar, Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We come together each week with our Proclaiming the One program to prepare. To prepare for the upcoming Sunday for the divine service, to take a look, to examine the readings for the upcoming Sunday. We generally start with the introit and then move on to the gospel and then either the Old Testament or the epistle. And we are thankful that you are here with us. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the ninth Sunday after Trinity. The ninth Sunday after Trinity. Pastor Moline, welcome this morning. Yeah, it's good to be here. What a great day, huh? What a great day. I have no idea what it's doing outside, if it's hot or sticky or raining or sunshiny. Been in the building all day, and here we go. Um, Vicar, are you uh, completely overwhelmed at this point in time, or are you keeping your head above water? Both. But I am uh, very excited and blessed to be here. I'm sure the overwhelming will come as the week goes on. Yeah, I'm not I don't I can't <laughs> I can't speak authoritatively to your excitement level, but uh, you definitely are privileged to be here. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, a little poppy humor there for you. Okay, Vicar, uh, everybody wants to hear your voice, so let's uh, let's give it a try. The introit for the ninth Sunday after Trinity <clears throat> selected verses from Psalm 54. Take it away. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Okay, we've got a uh, marvelous psalm here. Psalm 54 is a a great one. Doesn't doesn't achieve that high-level status like some of the psalms do, Uh, like Psalm 23 that everybody knows and has on their heart. But uh, Psalm 54 is a great one. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Those two verbs, Pastor, helper, upholder. How are they similar and how are they different? Well, um, 
they're similar in the regard that they are both helping verbs. Uh, and I know helper, that's a very good helper verb, right? <laughs> but what I mean is that they are words in which one person assists another one or supports another one or gives aid or comfort or care to another person. So God is helping us uh, as we go throughout our lives in the struggles and difficulties that we face. And he's also uh, upholding. And, and so maybe a difference there would be also upholding is much more uh, the the person working the verb is doing the doing. Um, you know, if I'm upholding something, that means I'm keeping it from falling down. And so they're similar in what they're trying to accomplish, but the second word, uh, upholder, definitely emphasizes the fact and the reality of what's going on. God is the one who's keeping us vertical. God is the one providing us with all we need to support this body and life. God is the one who is uh, uh, has our hand, our our life in his hands. And so uh, it's kind of an interesting way they do that. The first word says one thing and the second word reemphasizes it. When I hear the word helper with regard to a descriptor of God, I oftentimes think specifically of God, the Holy Spirit, because in uh, the the discourses of Jesus in the Gospel of John, oftentimes referred to as the upper upper room discourse or the high priestly prayer. There are several terms, uh, several names given to the Holy Spirit. One of them being helper. Am I am I uh, making a good connection here? Am I barking up the wrong tree? Help me out. I think that is a a good uh, connection. Um, Jesus definitely does call the Holy Spirit helper in that particular um, upper room discourse or farewell discourse. Um, and yet, too, I think that it would be wrong of us to just limit this particular use of this verb to only the Holy Spirit with what's going to come later on in this particular intro it because it definitely teaches us about Jesus as well. Absolutely and I wasn't thinking in that uh, limiting sense I was just thinking in maybe more of a, a refining or a specific uh, you know emphasizing some of that Holy Spirit work. Um, it talks about some things that we don't like to ponder on or dwell in the next line he will return the evil to my enemies in your faithfulness put an end to them pastor um god giving evil to my enemies god being faithful by specifically putting an end to my enemies we don't talk about that much in church um why and uh, are these words necessary? Well, what's happening here? Well, we do talk about it, but not in this direct sort of way. We, we talk about how on the last day Christ will return to bring the world to an end, to judge both the living and the dead, uh, to bring the faithful into heaven, and to send the unfaithful uh, to hell. And that's a reality of what's going on in our world. And we do talk about it, but we don't actually think about the reality of what that means, that uh, the evil, uh, those who have no faith, will receive what they have earned by their evilness because they will not let Christ stand in their shoes and take it on to themselves. And so um, that's the reality of what will happen to those who have no faith. They will face hell. What uh, they deserve, they will get. And... What we don't often think about as well is, is that is good news for us. Uh, as we are saved, we will no longer have to deal with sin and struggle and difficulty and pain and sorrow and strife any longer. God will have taken care of it. 
Um, so it's difficult to think about, but it's good news, and it is a promise that God has made to us, and we do talk about it. Well, you know, we have the old adage, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and so that that uh, fits in in a lot of respects. But I think part of the problem is, is we think of our enemies in a uh, much more human form uh, than we do in a spiritual form. You know, the uh, the guy who cut me off in traffic is my enemy. Uh, the uh, the person who, oh, golly, just uh, parked in my parking lot at church or sat in my pew is my enemy. My uh, my kid or grandkid who lips off to me is person my enemy. The person who spreads lies about me on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, uh, great example. And we're, we're thinking about it in those terms rather than faith, whether that person is a believer or not, the devil, the world, and my flesh, you know, the, the unholy trinity. And so I think that's part of the problem why these passages make us so, uh, so uncomfortable. There is a personal sense to that. Uh, the people who are going to hell are real people, and that's the shameful, sad part. Um, yet the reason they are going to hell is not because they cut you off in traffic or because they made disparaging comments about you on Facebook or Twitter. The reason they're going to hell is because they don't believe in Christ and they won't let Christ be the one who justifies their sin and grants them forgiveness. They either want that for themselves or they hate the thought of a God or something like that, and that's why they'll be going to hell. And that's an excellent point because um, we always want to justify ourselves. We do. And uh, that always gets us in trouble. When we're too busy justifying ourselves, we have no time, no, no use for the justification that only Christ brings and provides. In the, uh, in the next line there, Pastor, it says, O oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. So we, we're asking God to save us and vindicate us. And we're asking him to do this by virtue of his name and his might. Now, I can see where we would want to appeal to the might and the power of God. But what's this name thing? Why uh, why would we appeal to the name of God? That sounds a little far-fetched. One of the neat things about Scripture is that usually in the pages of Scripture, someone's name tells you exactly what they're going to do. Uh, For example, Abraham is the father of many nations, and the name Abraham means father of many nations. Or um, uh, Peter, his name is changed to Peter because his confession of Jesus is the rock on which the church is founded. And so when we talk about names and name of God, uh, we have to talk about Jesus. And the name Jesus, uh, Yeshua in the Greek um, and the Hebrew, uh, the name means the Lord saves. And so God does exactly what he says he's going to do in the person who's got the name, the Lord saves. And in fact, it even tells us who this person Jesus is. He is God in human flesh who has come down for the purpose of saving us from our sins by his work on the cross and the empty tomb. And so when we talk about the name of God, we can't take that away from the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. Uh What he has done, look at the last line, for he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Um, 
I still have trouble. So how can I, with a straight face, say, God, specifically Jesus, has delivered me from every trouble. My eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Uh, This is not a present reality for me, or is it? It is and it isn't. Um, Both those statements are true at the same time. And the way that it is true for you now, uh, you still live in a sinful world. People can still hurt you, and you can still hurt them as well. But the reality is is that this world is fleeting and temporary, and the world that is to come, these things are gone from you forever. And that's where your true citizenship is, is in heaven with God. And so while you face challenges and difficulties here, you know that they are overcome, and that in the end you will leave this world behind to be with God in peace and comfort and joy forever. The now, not yet reality of being a Christian, our sins are forgiven, and yet we still live in a sin-filled world. When we come back, we're going to look at some of the difficulties that we have in a sin-filled world, the realities of life. Uh, How do you deal with the the regular situations of life, good, bad, and ugly? We're going to be looking at one of the most uh, challenging Bible passages in all of Scripture, Luke 16, 1 to 9, the parable of the unfaithful steward. Uh, You won't want to miss this, folks. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. This is Proclaiming the One. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for the ninth Sunday after Trinity. I know that there are some pastors that uh, will do anything to not have to preach on this particular Sunday. And the reason for that is the gospel reading we're about to hear. The parable of the unfaithful or unjust steward. That's normally Uh, what it's titled, something like that in your English translations. Luke chapter 16, 1 to 9 is the uh, official reading for the day. Uh, They offer an alternate for the following four verses. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But, Vicar, first of all, Luke 16, 1 to 9. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, 
Take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. All right, there we go. The unfaithful steward, the unjust manager, the um, difficult part. You know, it's kind of an odd story to begin with. Uh, we're not familiar with these kind of business practices, and so we just ha- kind of have to, uh, you know, make some modern-day applications and hope they fit. But uh, the difficult part is when Jesus has the master commending the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. So is is Jesus telling you that sin is okay in certain situations? Is Jesus teaching a type of situation ethics? Uh, what's happening there? Also, uh, Jesus says, uh, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. What in the world is that? Um, is Jesus telling us to uh, to be to be friends with the world, the the evil world that we have? Uh, I've had I've heard many people say that uh, the key to that verse nine is so that when it fails, and that when it fails is really the key hermeneutical phrase to the whole thing. That you know the shrewdness, the unrighteous wealth, the things of the world, all these all these things. They're going to fail. And then when it fails, then you can cling to the mercy of God. A um, lot of different things to, uh, to look at here. But, um, Pastor, the uh, alternate that is, uh, and it's not really an alternate, but they, they give extra verses for this text. And Sometimes, because uh, we don't want the print to be too small in our little inserts, uh, we skip it. That wouldn't be the case here today, but uh, we'll make sure that it's printed out for us in the future. Uh, Verses 10 through 13, um, is this extra reading, these extra four verses at the end, are these important? Yeah, I think they are. They're very helpful in understanding the purpose of this particular parable, which is a difficult one. Um, and it, I used to call it the preach on the epistle week of the church here. <laughs> but uh, uh, I think they're helpful in trying to get our mind around what's going on. And uh, the, the, the words that follow in verse 10 and uh, through 13 are this. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth... Who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And that builds right off the end of the particular parable, especially uh, where the Master commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, where it says, The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I think that right there is the word of condemnation, where we love our stuff, love the money that we have, more than we love 
God and the gospel and uh, the church. And so think about this um, this parable and consider how how willing people are to support their church home, right? How many churches have problems with offering and income and things like that? So, so and, and, well, let yeah. me let me give you a time out here and let me just clarify something. Um, are you are you suggesting that? This particular gospel reading that we've got here from Luke 16, and then what we've looked at is 1 to 13. Are you saying that this has some like personal stewardship kind of application for us? I, I think it does have a stewardship application to us. I think Jesus is wise enough to know how the church will work for many, many years uh, in the future, and so he teaches us um, how we're to act with reverence with the gifts that he gives to us uh, in supporting the church and the mission of the church and the work of the church. And so he gives us this parable so that we can try and wrap our minds around how that works. Okay. I didn't mean to cut you off there. So you were on a roll. Well, yeah. Um, if I can get rolled back to where I was, that's the, the issue, right? Um, he has those words where the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And, and maybe this is where we can start with it. Think about the people of this world and the things that they will do to bring money in. For what purpose, of course? To support themselves, to have a bigger car, a fancier car, better cell phone, better clothes, um, bigger house. The list goes on and on and on. More money in their IRA, travels to Cancun or wherever. They want more and more and more and more, and they'll do anything to get it. And a good example of this in the Lincoln Journal Star here a couple weeks ago, there was an article about a gas station in western Nebraska where they were uh, advertising on their sign that they were selling gas for cheaper than all the other gas stations uh, at that particular corner. I don't know the specifics that say they were selling it for $1.50 is what they put on their sign. But at their actual pumps, there was only one pump that had it for sale at $1.50, and all the other pumps were two dollars and fifty cents and so people would come and they'd fill up with gas without looking closely at the sign and they would spend a dollar more than what they thought they were per gallon of gas and this guy then is raking in the dough uh, with this issue uh, the fellow gas stations at the other corners sued this guy and said you're doing false advertising and the judge said in response and i'll quote it for you here um these business practices may be perceived as shrewd and clever, but they are not illegal. Uh, and so this guy shrewdly is trying to get more money to take care of himself. We compare that then with the church. I think this is Jesus' whole point, and you can tell me if I'm jumping here too quickly, where... Um, What's the most valuable thing that really is in this world? You, Christ. Christ, forgiveness. forgiveness of sins, life, salvation, uh, eternity, right? And how's God give that away? Means of grace, water and word. What's it cost you? Nada. Nothing, nothing right? He gives it, he gives it away for free. And that's even what our church is here for, right? to give away God's eternal life and forgiveness for free. And yet there are costs associated with the existence of a church, right? We have to heat the building, cool the building. Our highest cost is what? Pay the pastors. Pay the pastors, right? And, you know, 
uh, we're just raking in the dough here as pastors. We roll in it, you know. And yet, what's a struggle that all churches have all the time? Money. We're giving away the most valuable thing in the world, uh, and people are shrewd with their money yet not to get this forgiveness, not to help spread the forgiveness to more people, but rather they use the money for themselves. And I think therein we see this shrewd manager in all of us where we love the money and uh, the things that we have for ourselves more than we love God. And we use our money to serve ourselves, not to serve God. And thus Jesus ends that uh, additional reading with, you cannot serve both God and money. You have to pick one or the other. Which one is the one that you're going to love? Which one are you going to be faithful in? Which one is really going to matter for you in the long run? And I think that then brings this whole parable to its close so it's interesting that word shrewd there's a there's a fine line between being shrewd and uh going to jail there's a fine line between uh uh, even the judge you know uh this whole letter of the law spirit of the law vicar you you made a comment during break uh about your your former life theophilus and uh, kind of a kind of a little connection there that the uh that the hearers might might uh, find interesting you want to share that? Sure. When you hit verse 8 and it says the master commended the dishonest manager, well, I think, okay, out in the secular world, in the world of business and work, if I, as a Walmart manager, am asked by my boss to turn my keys in, and I'll say, okay, let me go take care of what I need need to, and I'll bring you back the keys. Then I go out and hit the sales floor and give every customer 25% off their total sale. If I were to come back to my boss and give him his keys, he's not going to commend me. Not only am I going to get fired, but I'll probably be taken to jail and court and so on. And this guy here in the Gospel of Luke, this dishonest manager, was certainly facing up to and including death or execution. And I think that's why this is a difficult parable, because when we read parables, we're used to when it talks about master or owner or uh, Lord, we're, we're used to just automatically plugging God into there. Uh, when it talks about servant, we're used to just automatically plugging Jesus into there. And I don't think that's the case in this one. I think this is very much telling us the way the world works. People fight and scrounge and, and claw their way into using the worldly things they have for the benefit of themselves no matter what the cost. They're very shrewd with their possessions. And God says that's not the way it's supposed to be with children of light. And uh, I, I like both of the uh, applications, both of the comments here as well. If you get uh, if you get canned at Walmart after you've made all these wonderful deals, you might have made a good deal to somebody who will bail you out of jail or potentially give you a job later down the line. And we are shrewd with our stuff, we are shrewd with um, uh, the way the world works. We know how the world works, and we are reminded of it on a regular basis. What we need to be reminded of is God does not work the way the world works. He is much better and much more merciful and much more gracious. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue to look at the readings for the ninth Sunday after Trinity. Don't change that dial. Proclaiming the One.
Sundays at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Today, we're looking at the readings for the ninth Sunday after Trinity. I've got a great idea. Why don't you come join us for church on Sunday? We gather at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. And uh, we are one of the few churches in the entire city of Lincoln and surrounding area that has Wednesday evening service year-round. That's at 6.30, so come join us. You can always check us out on the radio. Our services are live on 95.7 KNNALP. Whatever's on the radio is also on our app, or you can check us out on the website. You can bypass the app and listen directly on the radio, www.thecross957.org. we got all kinds of stuff archived on there, not only our theological programming, but several community programs as well. And uh, you can uh, check out our ever-growing podcast selection. And uh, just do a little search for KNNA, especially uh, theological stuff, Proclaiming the One, Bringing Bach Back, uh, Pastor Poppy Sermons. What's your uh, funky title for your sermons, Pastor? With Intrepid Heart. It's a quote from the, uh, the end of the Book of Concord. With Intrepid Heart. Very clever. Not easy to remember. Sorry. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll work on your marketing strategy there, Pastor. Uh, but, uh, I'm, I'm sure he's got several million followers by now. Cause, uh, well, I don't know about that. Uh, anyway, we are, uh, we're looking at the readings for the ninth Sunday after Trinity. And in our uh, first segment, we looked at the introit, uh, selected verses from Psalm 54. In our second part, we, uh, I think we did a pretty good job of covering the gospel reading from Luke 16, 1 to 9, and uh, also looked at the extra verses 10 to 13, the parable of the unjust or unfaithful steward. Some people would say that it is... It should be titled, The Parable of the Merciful Master. The Merciful Master. Pastor uh, Moline's got this scrunched up look on his face like, I don't know if I'm buying that. But uh, um, one of the things that would uh, tend to lead toward that that kind of a uh, title and that kind of an emphasis would be the Old Testament reading. And the Old Testament reading is from Second Samuel 22. 26 to 34. Vicar, take it away. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God 
His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Uh, that old uh, little Christian ditty or spiritual that's out there. Uh, several places in Scripture, including the Psalms, but right here in Second Samuel 22, we've got two um, references to leaping and, and uh, not much of a leap to make that leaping like a deer. Uh, we've got that word mercy right off the bat, but that doesn't seem to be the uh, driving force, that one word, mercy. It's there, and uh, it's also in our collect that we'll hear later on. But with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. Who is talking and who is ta who are they describing with regard uh, you showing yourself merciful, you showing yourself blameless, you showing or you dealing purely with people? Those, those first three very positive things. Uh, who are these descriptors of, Pastor? Well, yeah, we have to uh, get some context to kind of help us understand what's going on here. And so uh, what we have here is this is spoken or really sung by King David uh, in the Old Testament time. And he's singing it after the rebellion of Absalom uh, and uh, the destruction of Absalom. And, and David is delivered uh, and returns to Jerusalem to continue his reign as king. And this is uh, part of his song of deliverance that comes about after that. In fact, if you go all the way to the beginning of chapter 22 of Second Samuel, it says, David spoke to the Lord the words of this song, on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And so uh, this is actually right before David dies, uh, which uh, happens here uh, just a little while later here. Uh, he has the census, and then uh, the beginning of Kings, he dies. So we have this context here that this is a song of deliverance sung by David, uh, and so he's the one who's doing the speaking. Now, the person that he's speaking to uh, saying with the merciful you show merciful uh, you show yourself merciful uh, etc that person that he's talking to then is God God is the one who is merciful God is the one who is blameless uh, God is the one who uh, makes himself seem torturous uh, to those who are crooked uh, God is the one who saves humble people. God is the one who does all these gospel things. Uh, and then also who works in the law, too, to show people their sin and their guilt. The uh, descriptors of God, that God is merciful, that God is blameless, that God uh, is pure and purifies others, uh, these we're okay with. Yeah. We don't have any problem with. But that, that second half of verse 27 with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. I think there's the connection, uh, more so than that mercy word, but there's the connection to our gospel reading. And the world is a crooked place. Yeah. 
the the world uh, has its own set of rules. If you do good, you kind of are rewarded, and if you do bad, you kind of pay the punishment. Uh, that's kind of how the world works, and uh, it's a system of punishments and rewards. And God says, "Okay, uh, I can I can do that if this is how you want to work." Um, if you want to follow my law, I'll bless you. If you don't want to follow my law, I'll curse you. In fact, it's going to be pure murder. It's going to be torture. Um, why don't we like to hear that, Pastor? Why don't we like to hear God playing by the same rules as the world? Well, we think God is... Um I mean, by definition, God is good, and we think that that means that he's um, just, you know, we've seen the T-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy, or what a friend we have in Jesus and all these things where, you know, God's just this fun-loving guy who always smiles and never tells us what we do wrong. But that's not the, the truth, and that's not what a real friend does or a real homeboy if you want to wear the shirt. Uh, somebody you love or a friend or a family um, – if they really love you, they should be willing to tell you when you're doing wrong. If you are uh, doing things that are hurting you or your neighbor, they should be willing to let you um, hit rock bottom, if you will, to um, to face the challenges and the difficulties and, and the consequences so that you learn that that's not a smart thing that you're doing or so that you learn how great the forgiveness of God and, and mercy in Jesus is so that you learn how serious the sins that you commit are. Um, God is willing to let you face the reality of the law so that you can understand how great his mercy and compassion is. And we don't like to think that way. We want to just live for ourselves now here and uh, enjoy, uh, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's not the way that God's going to let us uh, descend into hell. He wants us to be saved, and that requires a law that says this is how you should act. It seems like most of the time when we're we're thinking about God and God being love and God being merciful, it means that he just looks by sin. He looks by sin. He doesn't take it very uh, seriously. He cuts people lots of slack. Uh, people can kind of decide what they want to do on their own, that people's words are of the same import as God's words, and that is a completely flawed understanding of the nature of God and who God is. Would, would yeah. you agree with that, Pastor? The example that I like to use in that regard is um, I love my children, and uh, that doesn't mean I let my children do whatever they want to. There are rules because I love my children. For example, uh, you may not play in the street. You may not run into the street. Now, that's a law, and it's a law that we enforce uh, because we love our children. Why? We don't want them to get run over by a car or killed. Um, and so there are rules that come about as a result of love. The same thing God does with us. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. Why? It hurts us. It breaks up uh, uh, relationships. It uh, causes uh, great suffering and pain and struggle uh, when you have uh, marital relations outside of marriage. Um, you shall not steal. Why not? It hurts my neighbor, uh, and it can hurt me as well if my neighbor catches me in the act and uh, uh, has a firearm or something like that. Uh, God puts in place rules 
specifically because he does love us. And uh, we live within those rules because we know that he loves us and that he has our best interest at heart. And so that's the way God works. And if we're going to break the rules, he might let us, you know, just like, uh, you know, you tell your child, don't touch the stove, it's hot. And they keep on trying to do that. They might get themselves burned sometime and it will hurt them. But then they'll have learned that you can't touch the stove, the same sort of thing God does. The uh, contrast here with regard to someone thinking more highly than they ought or somebody thinking that they have the same importance in their thoughts and words as God, it says, you save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. Quickly, uh, the difference between being humble and being haughty. Well, humble, you know, we know what that is probably fairly well. Maybe we don't live it, but um, uh, not thinking too highly of oneself is humbleness and realizing the state of where you really are and who you really are uh, and being okay with that. That's humility. Uh, Haughtiness is thinking higher of yourself than you should, you know. Uh, I'm really good looking or I'm really smart. Uh, You know, I'm I'm smarter than that person down there. When you compare yourself to the person uh, who's your neighbor, that's haughtiness. And God has no time for that because the truth is we're all uh, sinful. We all deserve death. We're all guilty. And uh, that's the same across the board. No one is uh, less guilty than anyone else except for Christ. Amen. And uh, we got a lot more, uh, how would Kuhlman say that? We got a lot more meat on this bone. So we're going to take a look uh, some more at this Old Testament reading from 2 Samuel 22 when we come back from the break. We're looking at the readings for the ninth Sunday after Trinity. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We are privileged to serve here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for church Sunday morning, 8 and 1030, Sunday school for all ages in between. You can check us out on the radio, 95.7 KNNALP in and around Lincoln. You can also check us out on the website or your handheld app. We'd love to have your feedback as well. In uh, segment one, we looked at the introit for the North Ninth Sunday after Trinity. In segment two, we looked at that challenging gospel reading, the unjust or unfair steward, Luke 16, 1 to 13. And in our third segment, we got a good start at 2 Samuel 22, 26 to 34. And uh, there's just, uh, as Pastor Kuhlman would say, there's still meat on this bone. And so um, we're, uh, we're going to dig into this one a little bit more. In, uh, in our last segment, Pastor Moline gave us the historical background, what was all going on, what's happening at this point in 2 Samuel. We are uh, near the end of David's life, uh, at least as it's recorded for us in Scripture, and uh, exactly how much time passes between chapter 22 and chapter 23. I'm not sure that we know that, but uh, uh, 
we've got a lot of stuff going on here in uh, in this great chapter, Second Samuel 22. And one of the things that we talked about was that contrast between a humble spirit and a haughty spirit. To be humble is to be teachable. To be humble is to listen. To be humble is to realize you don't know all the answers. To be haughty is just the opposite. You're not teachable because you know everything. You aren't going to listen to anybody else because your words are the most important. Your thoughts, your ideas, your passions. And so um, I really wish we could bring that word haughty back into the English language. I don't know what would be equivalent uh, in our uh, in our vernacular right now. But uh, as you think about it, you see a lot of haughtiness in the world, and we also see a lot of haughtiness in the mirror. Verse 20 of, uh, oh, hold on here. My, uh, my coffee eyes are betraying me here. Verse 29, that 9 is actually a 0 in that tiny print. Verse 29 of Second Samuel 22 says, For you are a lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. Now, when I hear that, I immediately think of a psalm of David, Psalm 119, verse 105. There have been lots of hymns and little Christian ditties written off of that. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Um, am I making the right connection there, Pastor? And if I am, um, help me out by clearly defining what that word is that the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 119.105 and also reflected here in this light and lamp in 2 Samuel 22. Yeah, I think you are on the right track there. Um, we can take it even one step further than just having it from this particular place in Scripture, knowing that in John's Gospel, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and the light shines in the darkness now as a result, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And see that these words uh, are fulfilled then in the person work of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, um, and uh, that uh, David uh, definitely sees himself... Um, looking forward to this particular Savior, uh, Jesus, and that his humility then is a result of knowing who he is as a sinner who must be saved by the one who is to come. The lamp to his feet is God. The one who can rescue him is God, and that happens in the personal work of Jesus. Are you telling me that hundreds and hundreds of years before the celebration of the first Christmas, the birth of Jesus, that David here is already confessing the Savior who will be born from his seed. It, that, that just that seems wild, crazy. That seems, in the proper understanding of the word, fantastic. It, it is uh, wild and crazy uh, and fantastic. And yet it is the truth. It's 980 years probably before the birth of Christ, uh, give or take a few decades or so. And, um, and so all this time beforehand, David already is looking forward because he believes God's word that always points us to Jesus Christ. As Lord uh, Jesus says himself, you search the scriptures thinking that by them you have eternal life, but these are they that testify about me. And David's not the first one who's done this. Uh, the patriarchs before him looked ahead to Jesus. Uh, the 
Uh, judges before him looked ahead to Jesus. The prophet Samuel himself looked ahead to Jesus. Adam and Eve looked ahead to Jesus. In fact, there is only one faith that has ever existed that's true, and that's the faith that trusts in the promise of Jesus. We see that more clearly because we're on this side of the resurrection. David still had the same faith looking ahead to it in the future. And that really connects us to the name of this program, Proclaiming the one. The one Savior from sin is the same Savior in each of the 66 books of the Bible. We don't have a different God or a different plan of salvation in the Old Testament as from the New. Uh, every once in a while you'll hear some uh, heretical uh, Christian pastor talk that way or whatever. That's nonsense. That's silly. The Bible doesn't talk that way. The Word of God doesn't talk that way, and so we don't as well. Now, there is a, uh, there's a, uh, another fantastic, and when I say fantastic, uh, I mean um, unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's what, you know, it's fantastic. It's, it's impossible to believe. The result of this, this, this word of God, this word of God that is heard, this word of God that is believed, this word of God that empowers the Christian, says verse 30, for by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. That that's that looks cartoonish. That seems superhero like. Um, if if Christ is in me and I have faith in Him, I'm invincible. I can run through a brick wall. I can leap tall buildings with a single bound. I can have. Uh, bullets bounce off my chest. Is that what we're talking about here, Pastor? Well, no, not uh, invincible in that sense, and no magic powers, but instead, uh, what is it that keeps... Sorry, Vicar, no magic powers. (laughs) What is it that keeps a person from running at a troop? What is it that keeps a person from attacking a wall? What is it that uh, keeps the person from uh, uh, carrying out their duty in a a battle or a a war or something like that? I would say fear or terror. Exactly. It's a fear that consumes a person. And you, you've seen this in movies like Saving Private Ryan or uh, even uh, uh, the Band of Brothers movie. Oh, you have Saving f- Private Ryan where you got that typewriter guy yes. who has an opportunity to save somebody, but he can't do it. He can't get up and, and uh, overcome his fear. That, that's good. That's a good and, connection. And that's the reality of who we are as sinful people. We're always afraid of our... Uh, own skin, our own flesh, what uh, what thing do we have that we love, fear, and trust in above God? And as a result, uh, we're paralyzed. But with faith in God, we're able to overcome that, not uh, on our own, but rather God does it for us so that dying in battle is not the end of the, the story for us because Christ's alive. He's raised from the dead, and he promised that we will too. Um, being killed in in battle isn't the end because we belong to God and he has overcome sin, death, and the grave. And so because we have faith in God and what he has promised to do, uh, these things don't stop us in our tracks any longer, but we are set free to live uh, a life that is in service to neighbor and to God. And our God is not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. Um, You know, that begs the question for our hearers, uh, what, what are you afraid of? You know, fear, fear is everywhere, 
and uh, fear can paralyze us. Uh, you talked earlier about certain certain specific things, whether they be physical things, whether they be spiritual things, things that drive us to our knees, things that bring fear into our hearts, into our minds, and um, our lives oftentimes are lived in reaction to fear. And one of the good news, uh, the good news, is that God takes care of our fear. And I think that's the connection to our gospel lesson today, is uh, what are the things that you're afraid of losing? And those things are the things that you probably act most shrewdly about in your life. So we talked about the gas station owner who loved money and uh, used trickery to try and get more of it. Uh, he'll act all sorts of shrewd. Uh, is that a way to say it? All sorts of shrewd to make sure he gets more money. Or maybe you love your family, and so you'll do things very shrewdly to protect and guard them. Maybe you want the best house or big, uh, best clothing, and so you'll act very shrewdly to get those. Some people, you know, even steal these sorts of things, uh, acting shrewdly to get them for themselves. And yet what's the, the really valuable, most important thing in this world? It's none of those things. It's Jesus, and yet that's the one thing that we don't act shrewdly to guard or protect or keep or have for ourselves. We just kind of act, well, who cares? The church will be here whether we give offering or not. The church will be here whether we help mow the yard or not. The church will be here whether we are kind to the pastor or uh, treat him like garbage and uh, uh, you know harass him. We take that for granted. We don't act shrewdly to protect and guard that because I think there. here's the thing. It really reflects upon our faith. We don't fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And there's the problem uh, from the gospel lesson and the Old Testament lesson. You just, you just gave me an idea for a title for the sermon for this uh, ninth Sunday after training. How about the taming of the shrewd? There you go. (laughs) Vicar, um, I gave Vicar an assignment to look up a Bible passage here because fear grips us all too often. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 reads what, Vicar? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This God, his way is perfect. Second Samuel 22, verse 31, and it goes on with many wonderful descriptors of God. This God is love, perfect love that has gone all the way to the cross, bled, died, overcome sin, death, and the grave, the greatest fear of every Christian, the greatest enemy, death, and our fears are driven away by this perfect love of Jesus with Christ in you. Your gift with Christ in you, that confidence, that overcoming of fear is real. It's not a pipe dream. It's yours by grace through faith. Vicar, would you bring things to a close for this ninth Sunday after Trinity by praying the colic for us, please? Let us pray. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that they may obtain their petitions Make them to ask such things as shall please you, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 So, Sunday morning, wake up, 
drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastor, and just go to church. That'd be an awesome thing. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. We'll be back again next week. God's richest blessings in Christ. <laughs>